If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. Amazing. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, your exercise, and medication decisions. All those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and a lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Hello, everybody. We have just come out of the courtroom, and what a closing argument it has been so far by the state's first counsel, Prosecutor Waters. But before we could start closing arguments, and I tell you, you could hear a pin drop in that courtroom, and I very carefully was watching each juror that I could see. But before we could even get there, the jury went to Moselle, the hunting lodge, the scene of the murders, before closing arguments, bright and early this morning. Take a listen to Judge Newman in our cut four. We're going to um, have the an escort take you all to the um, subject property, Moselle, to to have a view, a jury view of the location. You are not allowed to discuss the case with anyone, and you're not allowed while there to ask any questions of anyone who may be there. If you have any questions, you can only ask me. Now, it has been a year and a half or more since June 7th, of 2021 and uh, things have changed or most likely have changed so uh, you have to take that in mind and certainly consider that but still it's the same location and we'll do that tomorrow morning taking a jury out of the courthouse out of the bubble in which they have been existing is very very dangerous anything can go wrong uh, as I was mentioning earlier today, if they pass one person holding up a sign, Murdoch did it, that is grounds for a mistrial with me, an all-star panel. But first, I want to go to veteran trial lawyer Daryl Cohen, former felony prosecutor in inner city Atlanta, now defense attorney out of Atlanta. Daryl Cohen, did you ever take a jury out of the courthouse? Nancy, we never did that because my worry is exactly what you had to say. My concern would be they saw something, could have been an accident, could have been any number of things that would create a problem when it came time to a verdict. And the last thing you want is for a jury's verdict to be nullified based upon outside circumstances. You know, another thing happened in court just before the jury broke. And this was when Dr. Kinsey was on the stand just before these closing arguments started. And Christine, let me know when you pull up the video and the sound. It was the the South Carolina Attorney General, the elected Attorney General, 
who came in for the direct examination on rebuttal of Dr. Kinsey. And the AG got a long gun and acted out the defense's theory of how Paul was shot, and it was completely ridiculous. Uh, Cheryl McCollum is with me, forensics expert, founder of Cold Case Research Institute. You know, Cheryl, uh, you got to be really careful when you start waving a gun around in a courtroom, especially with a jury sitting there. They don't like that, nor does anyone. But when the AG, the Attorney General, got that long gun and he had Dr. Kinsey crouched down in the position that Paul would have had to have been at the time of the murder, to, according to the defense, it didn't make any sense, Cheryl. And also, before you answer, keep in mind that right behind the shooter in that scenario, up at the top of the door is all the pellets from the shotgun. So how do you shoot somebody like that and the pellets go back there? It doesn't even make any sense. It's impossible for that to have happened. And that's why what he did to me was genius. Show them, act it out, prove that this is not possible. Not just that we don't believe their theory. It could not have happened. A cartoon couldn't have put the pellets where they lay in any way possible. Guys, I want you to take a listen to our cut one. Did you have the opportunity to observe one witness named Michael Sutton, who was a forensic mechanical engineer for the defense? I did. Now, do you recall any of his conclusions or what his main conclusion was regarding the size of the shooter? I do. Five foot two to five foot four. Based on your many years of law enforcement experience, education, and training, what is your overall opinion on his conclusions? I think his intentions are well, but I think his methods were flawed. The defense determined that there were two potential angles. How confident are you that the methodology used to determine those angles are accurate? I have zero confidence from this piece of evidence. When the defense expert says that the shooter has to be between 5'2 and 5'4, do you disagree with that? I do disagree with that wholeheartedly. I just think it's an unknown. I, I don't, I mean, there's many more variables you have to know how the shooter was holding the gun. You know, Cheryl, finally, somebody on the stand that speaks plain English that makes any sense. Now, that was Kinsey addressing the defense theory that the shooter had to be 5'2 or under. But listen to one more thing before everybody on the panel gives me their final vote. Take a listen to our cut three, Kinsey on the stand. I love this guy. Paul has just been shot. Yes, sir. And in, 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 in the defense's theory, what, walk, you tell me what to do, and you, you act this out, and I'm going to do what you tell me to do based on the defense's theory of the case. The defense agreed with the assessment that Paul stood there for a moment, bleeding down his injured left arm, and he slowly walked toward the door. Okay, and what does the shooter do? The shooter's coming in the door. And then what does the shooter do? He shoots Paul in the back of the head after he passes him. Okay, and then shoots Paul in the back of the head like this, and where does the blood spatter go? The blood spatter, the pellet defects, and one that I didn't know about, that the expert collected, was in the door frame at the top of the door. What did you find odd about the theory, first of all? I think the theory is preposterous, in my opinion. Okay, there you go, Cheryl. That is where the AG, Attorney General, and Kinsey were acting out the defense scenario. And when they did it, it all crystallized that it didn't make any sense. Didn't make any sense. And I think Kinsey does a, does a beautiful job here. Again, showing in motion, in action, this couldn't have happened the way they're wanting the theory to go, just like the two-shooter theory. What are, you, what are you giving us that there's any other stranger shooter, much less two of them? They're giving us nothing. The, you know, where the pellets landed, where the blood splatter went, everything is not indicative of what they put forward. What Kenzie is showing you, everything that went into motion is one shooter in this direction, not, you know, their make-believe story of what happened. To Robert Crispin joining me, uh, private investigator now, but former federal task force for the U.S. Department of Justice, 
uh, was with the DEA in Miami, where there's never a lack of business. He's at Crispin Special Investigations now. Robert, the reason I'm telling everyone about Kinsey and the AG at the end of the state's rebuttal, because just a couple of hours ago, guys, we're camped out right in front of the courthouse. I ran to get here to you uh, once the state's first closing argument was done. Just a couple of hours ago, the jury came back from going to Moselle. That's the hunting lodge where in the dog kennels, the two murders went down. Now see, they've heard all this testimony and Crispin, then they go to the scene. They go in that dog kennel and don't you know, they were looking around and looking up at that door and looking where the bodies would have been. And it had to hit home to them the various arguments they've been hearing. Yeah, I mean, actually they got to go see where yesterday they were trying to show how it could not have happened that way. So they actually got to see it. And that's very, very, very important. The only thing that I wish they would have done when they went out to do that jury site inspection is, I wish somehow they could have orchestrated some type of letting an AR-15 on a test fire go off <coughs> to see how loud that weapon is. And as loud as the shotgun is because the timeline going back in time to when he says he wasn't there and he was up at the house, just to see how loud those weapons are and that automatic gunfire is, you would have heard it. It doesn't fit. You know what's interesting about what he just said, Daryl Cohen? <laughs> I wanted to hear that too. I wanted to be inside a Moselle and hear guns, uh, shotgun and a blackout fired at the kennel. I wanted that, but don't you know, if there had been an experiment with the jury there, you'd have one juror that's deaf in this ear, another one that has a hearing aid, and this and that, another one that wasn't paying attention, and somebody wouldn't have heard it, and then somebody would have heard something different. It's very dangerous matter to try an experiment like that in front of a jury. I mean, Daryl Cohen, do you know how many times I would practice a demonstration in front of the jury before I did it? I mean, there are too many variables that can go wrong, and then you'll send the completely wrong message. Nancy, if it can happen, it will, and it's never good. So I agree with you. It, it pains me sometimes to agree with you, but I do. You don't want to have that type of experiment taking place in front of a jury because all of us see and hear something different. I can't hear you. Well, wait a minute. My left ear is not as good as my right. My right ear is not as good as my left. I don't know what in the world I should be listening to. I don't think I heard what I should have heard. I saw it differently. Did you see that? So all of that makes a difference. And actually what we're looking at, do the jurors like him or do they hate him? That's really what we're talking about because the okay, evidence... Okay, well, I've got to talk to you about what I saw in the courtroom. But before I get to the jurors and their reactions to this closing argument, this is going to be in segments. In many <coughs> jurisdictions, the state can make the first argument, then the defense goes, and then the state follows up attacking the defense and they get the last word. Why? Because the state has the burden of proof. I'm going to get right to what I saw happening in the jury box. But to you, Dr. Michelle Dupree joining me, uh, pathologist, medical examiner, author, former detective, wrote the Homicide Investigation Field Guide. Do I need to tell you anything more about Dr. Dupree? Dr. Dupree, take a listen to our cut two. I want to find out if you agree or disagree. Can you describe the kind of trauma you have observed in your career with, with contact wounds to the back of the head or any part of the head? And specifically to the face. Generally speaking, whether it be a, a shotgun or a large caliber handgun, the result is similar. You feel as though the, the forehead and the facial features have went away. And that's a kind way to put it. They're actually there, uh, but they've been shredded and the pathologist can actually put those features back in place or the majority of it. But looking at it, it looks like from the teeth up, the person went away. It's just a mess. Are the wounds suffered to Paul the back of the head consistent with a contact shot to the back? Absolutely not, in my opinion. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. 
Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. Big thank you to our partner in making today's program possible is Grand Canyon University. Grand Canyon University, a private Christian university in beautiful Phoenix, Arizona, believes we're endowed with certain unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the American dream starts with purpose. GCU equips you to serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's online, on-campus, and hybrid learning environments are designed to help you achieve your unique academic, personal, and professional goals. Offering over 330 academic programs as of September 2023, GCU meets you where you are and provides you a path to help fulfill your dreams. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University, private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Daryl Cohen, do you remember Fred Tokars? May he rot in hell? Fred Tokars was a practicing judge in my old jurisdiction, Inner City Atlanta. Uh, he, he was a, a practicing lawyer, defense lawyer, and he was a part-time judge. Right. Beautiful wife. Remember the Ambrusco family? Uh, gorgeous girls, every one of them, one prettier than the next, smart, engaging. He married uh, her. They had these beautiful little boys. And then tow cars out dating strippers, using drugs on the side, the whole shebang. He hires two idiots to kill his wife. Wasn't her first name Sarah? Sarah, that's correct. Anyway, I was so, so sick at the time when I heard this description, but it comes to mind right now. There were two perps. They get in the car with Sarah and the little boy is there, if not both of them are in the car, and they shoot Sarah in the head. The other idiot first says, man, that effed up my high. And then he said, her head blew up like a pumpkin. Now, when that happened, Daryl Cohen, the Cheryl McCollum, I was a brand new prosecutor. The only thing I knew about murder was when my fiance had been murdered. And when I heard blew up like a pumpkin, I thought, well, that's an awful thing to say. Why did they say that? How can you say that in front of a jury? You guys remember that? I remember Absolutely. it quite well. Yep. It was Now horrendous. to you, Dr. Dupree. <laughs> Nancy, that I is exactly what it would have been like, isn't it? 
if Paul had been shot in the head with a shotgun. Nancy, I've been to so many crime scenes where there was a contact shotgun wound to the head, and we have literally had to scoop up the brain with a ladle and put it into mm. a plastic baggie. That is not what was described. Okay, wait, His brain wait, was wait, mostly wait. intact. Dr. Dupree, now see, even I, a veteran prosecutor, I don't know how many dead bodies I've seen. I'm not proud of it. But even I just got put off by what you said. But the truth is that that's the truth. Okay, could you explain that to me? Go ahead. So the brain, normal brain, is the consistency of, say, a firm pudding. It's about two, two and a half pounds. When the brain is shot with a shotgun blast, it is decimated. It turns into almost fluid. There is just no way that this could have been a contact wound to the head. It is so much more realistic that it was an angled shot and that the shot severed the brain stem near the back of the neck and therefore the brain basically popped out of the skull and landed where it did nearly intact. It doesn't make sense to be a contact wound. You know, Daryl Cohen, did you hear the way she explained that? I understood it perfectly. But I'm thinking about Dr. Reamer who was on the stand and she is brilliant. She is just burning brilliant. But I think the defense got to her and she was became defensive and agitated as any normal person would have. And I, I hope the jury got the gist of what Dr. Dupree just said. I mean, it's hard when you're on the stand and you're being attacked to, to articulate to regular people like us very complicated medical issues like Dupree just did. Well, Nancy, you got to keep it simple, stupid. K-I-S-S. That's my view. And we're not saying, and Murdaugh is not saying that he killed him and it came from a different way. He's not saying that he saw it happen. They are throwing out a theory, whether it's good or bad, that it's how it could have happened. And he is not charged with being the murderer because people saw him pull the trigger not once but twice he's charged with it with circumstantial evidence you and i used to talk about the snow argument it didn't snow last night when i was awake i woke up this morning and it was snow on the ground somehow it got there that's really what the prosecution has got rain. to do or he used rain i used, snow. used rain but it's the same yeah, it, it doesn't work. change you don't have yeah. to see the storm to know that it rained when you come out of your office or your home. But guys, I haven't heard the prosecution do it yet. Kelly Skeen is with me, uh, Fox Nation senior producer, who's been listening to all the evidence in the courtroom with me. He hasn't hit the evidence yet. Waters and all eyes are on Waters. He started with motive, which to me is a single most troublesome fact in the case, Kelly. Yeah, we have heard Waters make this storm analogy from opening arguments, and we see it again in closing arguments. And as we just heard, you don't need to be outside to know it is raining, and that is what he is asking the prosecution to do. He says you need to find means, motive, and opportunity here, and he is saying that the only person who possibly had all three of those, as well as evil and wicked intent, is Alec Murdoch. Okay. Let me go to you. Everybody jump in again. Do I have to keep reminding you this is not high tea at Windsor Castle with King Charles? Jump in. I've got a little delay in my ear, but I'll, I'll try not to step on top of you. Cheryl McCollum, what it boils down to me is just like in Scott Peterson, and don't believe some half-baked entertainment show about Scott Peterson. I heard the trial. I heard the evidence with the jury, and I agree with the verdict. Scott Peterson placed himself at the scene of the disposal of Lacey's body on the day that her body was disposed, along with baby Connor, her unborn child. Murdoch is placing himself at the scene of the murders. Listen to this. At 849.27, wait, 845.47, so 846, he's there in the video. He is in the video at 8.46. At 8.49, Maggie reads her last text. At 
Eight seconds later, Paul stops responding to the chat and the phone calls he was having back and forth with his friend, Rogan Gibson, Rogie, about that dog. That was Rogan's dog and Paul was taking a video. He had the dog at his kennel and they were gonna send that video to a lady veterinarian to look at his tail. Listen to this time again, everybody. 8.46, he is there, Murdoch is there. 8.49, the murders have happened. Right then, so you wanna tell me that in three minutes, somebody he leaves and somebody else rushes over, grabs two Murdoch weapons, shoots them dead and gets away that's bs nancy is worse than that that's all you got to say is when you, right when when you say he placed himself there he lied he did not place himself there that child he took a video and that placed him there so not only do we have only a three minute window we have the only no. time he absolutely lied about where he was was the most critical place so you've got Alex saying, I wasn't anywhere near there. And it's not until that video comes out that Paul took that he's busted. And he lied about the most and critical important place. And Nancy, Cheryl, he also he says, finally admitted on the stand that he was there. Because so many people no went, yeah, that's him, that's him, that's him, that's him. He finally said it on the stand he was at the kennel. And it's at 8.45.47 which is 846, totally. he's there, and the murders occur at 849. What, what doctor? And Nancy, he also says that the dogs are not misbehaving, they are not acting like anyone else is there, that no, nobody else is around. Well, duh. Exactly. You know, you're right. But I just and think what killer would have made sure the dogs were back in their cages and everything was just fine? Go ahead, Cheryl. The killer would have killed him. There's no way. Somebody is coming to that remote area in three minutes while he's there, fires seven shots. He don't know nothing about it. He don't see nobody. There's no other evidence of footprints or tire tracks or phone pings. Nothing. Every road leads Guys, to Alex I'm, I'm, I'm looking down because I've got all my notes from the closing arguments. Let me tell you, Prosecutor Waters walked in. He walked out of the courtroom right before closings. I wonder what he did out there. Maybe he went to the bathroom, maybe he got some water, maybe he said a prayer down on his knees. But he came in and he was full of swagger. He walked right by everybody, went up there and started his argument. It started at 1213.25, day 27. And he hit it and he hit it hard. This is what is concerning me. I'm going to go back over the closings, but Daryl Cohen, you know how I always ask people, well, what was the jury doing? And they always say, well, they were listening. That doesn't help me. That doesn't help me at all. So I got in a very precarious perch. I started looking at every juror I could. Listen to this, Daryl. And Kelly Skian, listen to this because you know the jurors just as well as I do from looking at them. There is a red-headed lady on the front row that is nodding with the state almost imperceptibly. There is a short-haired brunette lady on the back row that doesn't take her eyes off the prosecutor waters. There is a white male that has on glasses and a mask he also never takes his eyes off waters. I got one lady though, the lady that always brings a blanket and pulls it up. She was doing everything but yes. looking at waters. She might glance at him and then she'd look off. She'd drink her drink. She spent most of her time looking out at the audience. You know what I'm talking about, back row? I, I do, Nancy, and I talked to a source I talked to a source very close to the prosecution this morning about that same juror's body language and asked him what he thought about this juror quite literally covering her face with a blanket. And what he told me is, I am not going to speculate on where any juror is at this moment in the trial because one day you think they're for you, the next day you think they're against you. And everyone who is watching this trial right now is analyzing our body language, the well, as in the prosecution's body language, every step of the way as well. 
See, Nancy, I'm not as concerned okay, with the prosecution. That by did the not language. help me, Kelly. Well, hold, hold, you're worried about the jury. Let me tell you who's going to be a problem. There's a guy on the back row, a white male. There's two of them back there that are wearing, I call them lumberjack shirts, they're plaid shirts. Now, there's one guy all the way by the wall under the flag. He never looks away from the prosecution while they're talking. The other guy in a lumberjack shirt, it's a red lumberjack shirt, will barely look at the prosecution at all. That is not a good sign, Daryl, while you're spilling your guts in front of the jury and they're like looking off up at the ceiling, counting the squares in the ceiling. That's not good, Daryl. Nancy, this case has gone on and on and on, and we have to realize a swindler does not a murderer make. So as a result of that, the prosecution has got to hit it and hit it hard and get to the jurors mentally and physically and looking at their facial expressions, watching their body language throughout the trial means everything. And I am fearful for the prosecution that they have spent so much time with this banter back and forth that the jury has gotten bored and when they get bored they close their minds and they're just there it's just physically there not mentally and that's not a good sign he needs to hit that timeline and hit it hard guys take a listen now we have just come out of the courtroom closing arguments uh, we expect the case to go to the jury today if for once for pete's sake they could let this jury work late we might get a verdict for pete's sake guys take a listen to our cut five as prosecutor waters launches his closing argument on june 7th 2021 at the moselle property in Colton county maggie murdoch and paul murdoch were brutally and maliciously murdered at the kennels by Alec Murdoch. Paul, as you know, suffered two shotgun blasts. Maggie suffered five blackout rifle wounds. And after an exhaustive investigation, there is only one person who had the motive, who had the means, who had the opportunity to commit these crimes, and also whose guilty conduct after these crimes betrays him. The defendant is the person on which a storm was descending, where his own storm would actually mean consequences for Maggie and Paul, and consequences for those who trusted him. And that person is the defendant, Richard Alexander Murdoch. You know, I like the way he talked about one person that had guilty conduct after the shootings. Who lied? Who tried to hide evidence? nobody but Murdoch. Hey, I'm hearing in my ear, Christine, We, uh, there you go. She is showing video from the Moselle jury visit. Uh, trust me, I did not even risk hanking it, jinxing it, by showing up and spying on the jury. But I can't say that somebody else didn't. Here is the video of them at the crime scene this morning, not the jurors themselves, but what they were seeing. And it opens up into the home. I'm not sure what they're seeing right there, but they're, they're going out. You know, that looks a lot like Almeida to me, where the, where the uh, mom lived. That said, we're told this is video from the scene this morning. Now, I would expect them to be going out to the kennel. Again, to you, Daryl Cohen, that could have made all the difference, that visit to the hunting lodge today. It's going to either crystallize in the jurors' minds what the arguments have been, what the testimony has been, what the evidence has been, or it's going to confuse them. I think by going out there, it helped crystallize a lot of what they were hearing and made it real. It took a story and turned it in to me as each, every, and each and every individual juror 
making me part of this story and bringing me in. So I think it was a great idea for them to go out there. I realize the prosecution was against it, but I think the more jurors can feel and see what has happened, the more likely they are to render a verdict that will be in accordance Absolutely. with the Now wait the a minute, evidence. that looks like the drive. That looks like the long intro. I'm looking off at a video we're showing you. That looks like the long drive entrance to Moselle. And it's pretty amazing, Robert Crispin, that this judge, Newman, had it timed almost to the minute. He said, we will be back by 11. And it's a 25 minute drive from the courthouse, at least. And he was right. Uh, I was sitting right here and I heard the crowd behind us cheering and I turned around, it was a group of the lawyers, I don't know which side, were walking in. Yeah, now that's looking more like Moselle from an aerial view. And you can see off to the side, you see cars parked trying to protect the jurors from anyone coming out there and causing a disturbance that could ruin the trial and make it end in a mistrial. Every step of the way, see there's somebody driving in front of them. There's going to be people driving behind them to protect the jury. And hey, I think it may have worked. But in my mind, it was a big risk to take because Robert Crispin, scenes change. When you go back, the trees may have grown. The bushes may no longer be there or there may be more. There could have somebody else owns it now. What if they've changed the kennel in some way structurally? And it's not the same as it was the night of the murders. Yeah, hey, I mean, that's definitely a chance that they took today. And the judge has been spot on this entire trial. Um, I, I like this guy. But I think what this did today, although a lot of us didn't want it to happen, I think this finally gave the jury an opportunity to flush out their headgear because they've been sitting in those chairs for 27 yep. days listening to all this. And I got to be honest with you, going back oh, and listening to- Hold on, Crispin. To, Crispin, hold on, hold on. Crispin, we're seeing right now that absolutely is the kennel. That absolutely is where the murders went down. That's definitely it. Wow, Christine, thank you for getting that video for us. Okay, go ahead, please, Crispin. No, I was just trying to say it gives them an opportunity to flush out their headgear because they've been sitting there for 27 days. And when you listen to Murdoch's testimony, my God, I was confused because this is a lawyer who's repeating questions and just extending out his testimony, what I feel was a great opportunity to confuse the jury. I mean, this is a very well-educated lawyer. This is, you talk about a perfect storm? I'll tell you what the perfect storm is, Nancy. The perfect storm is when a con artist and a lawyer crash into each other. And that's what you have here. He knew exactly what he was doing. How many other witnesses repeated the question every single time or almost every single time i mean i, I sat back and i'm mm -hmm. like i'm starting to get confused and i think that's very intentional obviously he knows what he's doing and he's got to because he's got to attack the government because the facts are against him okay that is hey, the Nancy. front of moselle and that is the kennel go ahead cheryl it is imperative that they went out there today you and i preach all the time you've got to walk that scene in order to understand it for 27 days they've seen two-dimensional pictures they've got to go out there <clears throat> excuse me so even if the trees are falling and the brush is overgrown what mm -hmm. has not mm -hmm. changed about that is the layout and where it is located as far out as it is they're going to understand somebody would have to drive that long road take that long driveway but and be unseen by paul or anybody else nobody's going to buy that this was too isolated too far away too secluded this was a one person job and they're going to be able to see that because now they understand it in a way they could not yesterday well, I'm glad and you, Nancy, you know, Nancy. mentioned that long Nancy. driveway of the perp getting in and out. What, what? Go ahead, Dr. Dupree. So I think it's also very important for the jury to actually see and imagine how far or the distance between the two bodies and how realistic yeah. it would be that someone could actually shoot both of them you know, with two different guns. It's not an impossibility. Guys, I want you to hear more of what we just heard in the courtroom. Hey, who is that? Go ahead. This is Kelly. I was just going to say, I was out there at Moselle this morning when the jury visited, and we were expecting that road to be blocked. 
off and no media allowed. And that is not the case at all. I was able to drive the road as I've done many, many times before. And we know that the jury was on the property for about 20 to 30 minutes. And specifically, one juror was looking up at that door frame of the feed room where we've heard that there is damage from those pellets from the upward trajectory of the shot that Paul was shot with as the prosecution alleges. But we also know that they weren't allowed to ask questions. So my question is, do they know at this point where Maggie was found versus where Paul was found? Because they weren't allowed to ask questions. So they do they know the difference between the feed room and the kennels and the overhang where, where Maggie was near? Or, or are they just as confused as a lot of people watching this? I don't see how they can be more confused after visiting the scene than less confused. Guys, I want you to hear more of Waters opening, closing. And what I mean by that is very often you will see the state give the initial closing statement, then the defense will go, and then the state will finish up. Take a listen to our cut six. The evidence that you've heard shows that the defendant became so addicted and so dependent on a velocity of money that the millions of dollars in legal fees that he was receiving was not enough. And so he started to steal. When he's earning millions of dollars and stealing millions of dollars, he's also borrowing millions of dollars from wherever he can. The bank, his law partners, his father, and it still wasn't enough. And this slow burn was continuing and continuing until the boat crash happened in February of 2019. And that changed everything. That set in motion things that were going to happen because of the criminal charges related to that case as well as the civil uh, charges related to that case. And in the aftermath of the boat case, things changed. The pace of his stealing increased. In fact, that's when he stole the money from Tony Satterfield that you heard from. Ultimately stole about $4.5 million between the Satterfields and others. You heard where his finances were at on June 7th, 2021. And you saw what happened in the wake of that. And on June 7th, 2021, as all these pressures were mounting, the defendant killed Maggie and Paul. You know, he's really making a point, Kelly Skin, to tie this into the boat crash because the boat crash was the case was supposed to have a hearing that week, I believe it was uh, the 10th. And then Paul was murdered on the 7th. And suddenly the boat crash lawsuit seemed to go away. And the lawyer for that case, Tinsley, actually said, well, yeah, it's not as good of a case anymore. We don't have a defendant. Paul's dead. The Murdoch family has all this sympathy. And sure enough, that case settled for a lot less money than was expected, just like Murdoch thought. Yeah, we, we've heard from the prosecution in closing arguments that Alec Murdoch was on this hamster wheel of just trying to keep up with begging for money, borrowing money, stealing it allegedly, and hoping that this truth would not be exposed. That was until the boat crash when Mark Tinsley was going to make a motion to compel and Alec Murdoch would have to show how much money he had. Alec Murdoch and his attorneys claimed he was broke. Tinsley didn't believe it and was going to file this paperwork for Alec Murdoch to show what money he had. And the prosecution is alleging that that is the pivotal moment in which Alec Murdoch made allegedly the decision to kill Maggie and Paul to distract from this boat crash lawsuit because he knew allegedly that Mark Tinsley would drop it and settle for a lot less, which is exactly what we saw happen. Which is exactly what happened. And the way Waters described in closing argument, uh, Daryl, you would have loved this, described how after the boat crash, People were not three inches up Alex Murdoch's tailpipe about the missing millions. They were overcome with sympathy. Everyone was reaching out. How can we help you? It was almost as if the thefts had never happened. It got dropped like a hot potato after the murders of Paul and Maggie. Yep. It, it did, but what it also did is it, you mentioned it took away from we're going after him because he has stolen all of this money. But it also is not, in my view, a good motive to kill his son and his wife. I think that is the weak point in the case. The other weak point is when the prosecutor allowed Murdoch to continue to 
repartee with him back and forth, I would have been much more to the point, ask a question, and see if we can get him off the stand because Murdoch was so good, at least in appeared to be good, making a point, cozying up to the jury. And that's why when the people who have seen the jurors, the woman looking out, the other people looking at them, that makes all the difference to see who is who is not resonating with the jury. Because ultimately, Nancy, if the jury likes Murdaugh, he is acquitted. If they don't like him, he is convicted. That simple. And they'll find a way to justify you know, their verdict. Right before we came out at the lunch break, uh, Christine, I want to play our cut 11, because we heard Murdaugh referring repeatedly to Paul, his now deceased son as a, quote, little detective, because he blamed Paul for finding his drug stash. And from that point forward, Paul and Maggie were, quote, watching him like a hawk, and he was descending into withdrawals. Take a listen to our cut 11. We know in May that Paul sends a text to him saying, Mom found some pills. We need to talk. Another pressure from Paul and Maggie on him. And if you look at the texts, the weekend of the ball game on June the 7th, Alec is not at the game. And he's texting back and forth, and Maggie's like, well, don't come if you feel bad. And he's like, well, you know, I think I can get a late checkout. And then he's like, at 1 o'clock, they made me leave. It's a reasonable inference they were on him at this time. They were watching him like a hawk. Opiates, the most powerful of withdrawals. And everything's coming to a head, including this. Run out of money, running out of options, doesn't get paid in any significant way until December. Already stole the Ferris fees and spent that money in two months. Has an expensive pill habit and accountability and consequences will do undo everything in his life. Everything that is his self-identity. Everything, the only things that he cares about. He doesn't care about lying to his partners and his family and his friends and his clients if it will delay accountability for him. He'll do it in a heartbeat. And all of that is about to be undone. Can you imagine your wife and your son watching you like a hawk trying to keep you away from your opioids when you have a 20-year, $50,000 a week addiction? He himself says that withdrawals are awful, that you will do anything to make them go away. What was he willing to do to make Maggie and Paul go away so he could get back in the bottle, the bottle of opioid pills? Guys, when things are starting to die down and attention is focusing on him, according to the prosecution, this is what happens. Take a listen to our cut seven. His buddy Chris Wilson comes and sees him on September 4th and confronts him about what he's been doing. And then within two hours, the side of the road happens. When accountability was at his door, he was a victim again. And he told a extremely detailed lie and went so far as to draw a composite sketch with the police of this assailant. The accountability that had arrived at his doorstep again, he tried again, tried to get it to go away, and it worked for a little while. But this time it fell apart a little quicker because his own brother figured out that he was trying to buy drugs. He is a different man than the kind of stories that we've seen before. When you have a middle-aged man who's outwardly successful, who has a strong family legacy, prominence in the community, but is living a lie. Big thank you to our partner in making today's program possible is Grand Canyon University. Grand Canyon University, a private Christian university in beautiful Phoenix, Arizona, believes we're endowed with certain unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the American dream starts with 
purpose. GCU equips you to serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's online, on-campus, and hybrid learning environments are designed to help you achieve your unique academic, personal, and professional goals. Offering over 330 academic programs as of September 2023, GCU meets you where you are and provides you a path to help fulfill your dreams. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University, private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very slow. all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. (laughs) Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on the Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Okay, Kelly Skeen, I think that everything the prosecution has said so far is correct, and I think he said it well. I also think he needs to start doubling down on the night of the crime and the evidence proving the murder and get off motive. We have heard more times throughout that night than I can count, whether it's 8.44 or 7.46. And really, it's like the jury needs a printout to get the times of that night right. But something he also said about opioids is, I'll let you decide, the jury, if he really could take a 1,000 milligrams of opioids a day. But even if he was, being intoxicated is not an excuse for murder at all. However, I agree with you completely that they are going to have to put a bow on this to really nail down and solidify that timeline of what happened that night because the jury's not allowed to take notes. They can't read articles. Will they remember the times that the prosecution has been talking about for six weeks now? Or is Creighton Waters gonna really wrap this up with a bow for them so they can really comprehend the exact moments that Paul and Maggie died? And it really hit home when he was describing they even had a graphic up of a hamster on a wheel. It was a drawing. Take a listen to Our Cut 9, the way that Waters is describing Murdoch for now 20 years addicted to opioids, begging, borrowing, lying, stealing, doing anything to get that next high and just keep it going. Take a listen to Cut 9. The main thing he did in the wake of the murders of his wife and son was he made sure to stay again one step ahead of the game because he had more time now. He had time he didn't have on June 7th, but he had it now. And that's the first thing he did. It's the first thing he did. It's the main thing he did. Was keep the hamster wheel going. I know it seems like a lot, but you have to consider the unique circumstances of this particular man. This particular man who has proven over and over again that he will do anything to keep that hamster wheel going and to avoid accountability. And he's been doing it for over 10 years. He just finally reached a point that he had never reached before. And he hammers it home. Listen to cut eight. I want you to hear it the way we heard it in the courtroom right behind us. Take a listen. That's a situation I think is akin to a Ponzi. And a Ponzi's Kind of like a pyramid scheme where it depends on new money coming in to pay old investors. And it works. It'll work for a long time as long as you can keep that money coming in. But the second you can't, 
The second that you're out of options, it crashes and burns. That's how every Ponzi crashes and burns. And that's the situation fundamentally his finances were like. And that's the situation that was arriving in June of 2021 when he was at the scene with the victims minutes before they died and lied to everyone he would listen about. A gathering storm. The boat case, other factors that were arising, each one leading to that inevitable day of reckoning. You had the trial lawyers conference where he was confronted. Mark Tinsley was confronted by Alec. Alec, of course, denied it. Everybody's lying on Alec. Alec's telling you the truth, even though everyone who knew him had no idea who he was. Everyone. No one knew who he really was. The people who came in here and said we thought this about him, not a single person knew who he really was. That's how convincing he is. You know, all that is true, but the one thing that sticks out in my mind right there, Daryl Cohen, is that he is at the scene of the murders minutes before we know the murders occurred. And according to my calculation, it's not even minutes. It's about one and a half minute before the murders occurred. Nancy, there's no way for him to get around that. There's no way for him to avoid that. He is where it happened, whether he says he did it or didn't do it, he is right there and that is something that he is not able to get over, not able to explain away, not able to use his gift of gab to say, I was there, but I did. it just doesn't fly. This doesn't fly. You know what? I think I hear you, Cheryl. Go ahead. The jury is going to under will lie, and then he will invoke a gun when he needs to. The fake suicide, which incidentally was also shot, which is what happened to Paul and Maggie. He could have had himself shot anywhere on his body, but he chose that area, and then he will deflect attention away from the truth by garnishing that sympathy to stop any more investigation. That's what he did over and over here. That's his playbook. To you, Dr. Michelle Dupree, from your point of view as a pathologist, um, medical examiner, former detective, what is the main fact that you would hammer home to the jury right now? I would hammer home exactly what you've been talking about, Nancy. That timeline and that specific three minutes where I mean, it probably takes almost that long just to drive down the driveway. He's been there. He is there during that time. I would hammer that home so strongly. Oh, I like what you just said because it fits perfectly. The jury has just come from Moselle in the last two hours. It took that long just to drive down that long driveway. Hey, Christine, do we have that aerial shot of Moselle? There's just, and we saw it on the jury viewing, a huge, long driveway that is bordered with beautiful pine trees. There you go, yes, yes, that's it. It's a really long driveway. It would have taken him that long, as Dr. Dupree just said, to get down the driveway. That, it's just, I think that's what they need to be hitting. Robert Crispin, uh, veteran law enforcement, now private investigator, if you had to hit the jury with one fact, what would it be? Oh, the video and the electronic evidence and the fact that the jury was just down there and now we're coming back from lunch and he's going to go in there and he's going to slam that timeline in there right now. And they're going to go, wow, yeah, I was just out there. Yeah, that does kind of fit. Yeah, I was on the property because it's completely different when you see it in real person and in real time. You feel it, you smell it, you see it. It's a completely different story. Yeah, it was a big gamble to take him out there. I agree. But when he comes in, buckle up. To you, Kelly Skin, what do you believe is going to happen next in that courtroom? I know the state's not through with closings. I never liked it when um, any closing statement or opening statement had to be interrupted by a lunch break or you know, for really for any reason. Hold on, let me go to you, Daryl Cohen. You're the veteran trial lawyer. It's never good to have your argument broken up or even an important witness to have suddenly a recess in the middle of that. 
that's that's never a good thing. I'm not sure why, but I know it to be true, Daryl. Nancy, it doesn't bother me if I am questioning a witness or if I'm arguing and when we start back again, I am back in front of that jury because what I'm trying to do is curry favor with the jury. I'm trying to cuddle up to that jury and I want each and every one of those jurors to like me and hate the defendant. And if they like me, they're more likely to hate the defendant. They'll ignore my problems. They'll ignore my little this, my little that, but they will focus in on that jury, will focus in on what that defendant did and what he likely did. So it doesn't really bother me. It does bother me if there is a time when the jury goes out and then the next morning I have to come back or the next morning the defense comes back. That does bother me. But just a little bit of a break as long as the continuity is there. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry we broke for lunch, but it was very important for you to remember as we broke for lunch exactly what the argument was based upon what the evidence was or the lack of evidence. You know, um even there at the end of his first closing argument, Waters was pounding on Murdoch lying, as he should, and Murdoch hiding behind his opioid addiction. Take a listen to our Cut 10. Common sense, 1,000 milligrams a day, does that sound survivable? And if, you, if it was, that you could still engage in work, have a successful practice, and then on top of that, engage in these complex conspiracies to steal and fool everyone and live a life and how people outwardly think that you're, uh, you know, who you, who you profess to be in public. I have no doubt that he was taking opiate pills. Now, I would submit to you to decide whether or not he looked you in the eye and claim the amount that's inconsistent with whatever else we know about this man. It's really inconsistent with survivability. He can never function at the level he's been functioning. Keeping up with these pressures, staying one step ahead for over a decade if he was taking that much dope. I would submit to you as a lie that he's trying to get you to believe, to feel sympathetic for him. You know, Kelly Scan, um, Fox Nation senior producer in the courtroom, Kelly, I think now is the time to bring it home that he is so out of his mind on opioids the night of the murders, Kelly, and he himself says it makes him feel paranoid, agitated, upset. He's out there that night, and here are the two people trying to take his drugs away, the people watching him like a hawk. It all fits together, it just fits together, Kelly. Yeah, and as the prosecution has said, only the killer would know to lie about those critical moments when the murders happened. And the prosecution says that person is Alec Murdoch, and Alec Murdoch did lie. So I think when we go back into the courtroom, we can expect Creighton Waters to give it a, a little recap of what happened before the lunch break, maybe another rain analogy. You don't need to be outside to know that it's raining. You can hear the raindrops on your roof and know exactly what happened. I think he's going to bring this timeline full circle and when we hear from the defense you know that they're going to double down on the double shooter theory the short shooter theory and the fact that alec murdoch loved his wife and his son and could have never done that you know another thing kel i'm pretty sure that the jury stays in the courthouse for lunch and i hope they do i i somehow wandered into the secret bat cave getaway on the other side of the courthouse there is a wrought iron fence around it that ha a sheriff has to come and let you out so if you go back to the courthouse and from the front of the courthouse it's on the right that's where the judge and I guess the uh, I'm not sure but probably the jail transport comes that way because it's in encased in a, a secured fence well I got out there a sheriff had to let me out by the way I don't think that they would risk that at this juncture and I also distinctly smelled lasagna. And I saw a sheriff rushing by a bailiff with a plate of lasagna on his plate because I want them back on time to get ready. And I, you know how people doze off after they have lunch? I guarantee you that judge is gonna have this, the courtroom sub-zero to keep the jurors awake, Kelly.
Yeah, and we, we've heard Judge Newman ask the jury before, too, what time is lunch delivered? So I think it's way too risky to let the jury out during lunchtime. There is a sea of media out here, as well as there's not that many places to eat in Walterboro, South Carolina. So you can be rest assured that they are having lunch delivered into that courtroom. Hopefully not too many carbs because that would put them to sleep. And you know, another thing uh, to you, Daryl Cohen, the state does not have to prove motive. So they need to wrap up motive and get to the facts of the night of the murder. I completely agree with you, Nancy. I analogize it to a wild, vicious animal being cornered, and that animal will do whatever it needs to do to survive. And I think that is what the state has to show, that he did what he needed to do in his own demented mind with all of the drugs to survive. And that meant killing his wife and his son. Other than that, get rid of the motive. The motive thing, I don't like it. I, I just don't. Just rely on the facts. Rely on what his lies are. Rely on what the jury yeah. is looking at. And Nancy. You know, one other thing struck me, Kelly, that you may have seen. Go ahead, Dr. Dupree. We're running out of time. Make it quick. Okay, so if we just look at all of Murdoch's answers, he answers exactly to fill in the holes for the evidence that the prosecution is presenting. You're right. Okay, Kelly, let's go back in the courtroom. Everybody, thank you for being with us on the lunch break. We're headed back in the courtroom. Goodbye, friend. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very of all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. <laughs> like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you.